Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the irredeemable Shag from FirestormFan.com. Along with me is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from AquamanShrine.com. Good morning, Rob. Good morning, Shag. And before I, before I even do anything, before I forget this, I want to thank you for the Aquaman underwear. And, I'm, <laughs> and I refuse to put that comment into context. Oh, God. Uh, I think you just threw the explicit tag just from that. Let's just keep going. (laughs) Go, go, keep going. All right. Folks, uh, welcome back to Who's Who. We are so excited to be here. Um, I I love doing the Firewater podcast. I truly do. But for some reason, I get such a charge from doing the Who's Who podcast. Maybe it's because we get to play in a bigger sandbox. Maybe it's because it's only once a month. I don't know. But I love these things. I'm so excited about covering this. Absolutely, yeah. We always we we wish we could do these more than once a month, and um, and uh, we are. I'm I'm staring at the cover for number three, and I'm just like, oh boy, this is going to be fun, and all these different characters we get to cover. Absolutely, folks. We are we are covering Who's Who, num- uh, Volume Three. Uh, well, technically, it's Who's Who: The Definitive Directory of the DC Universe, Volume Three, uh, covered at May 1985. And uh, set your Rayback machines, folks. This thing hit the shelves on February 21st, 1985. So uh, we're going to say a few things first, and then we're going to get rolling into this thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just as a super quick preamble to, to the in case anybody doesn't know what the series was. It was a 26-issue series. It was uh, noted as celebrating the 50th anniversary of DC Comics. It ran parallel to the Crisis on Infinite Earths and premiering a month ahead of that series. It lists... Uh, all their all well it doesn't list all of DC's characters as we'll get to, uh, but it tries to, <laughs> and in the alphabetical format from A to Z, and uh, at the end there with a, a couple of fill-ins. Um, each cover is a jam cover, and it has all the characters mixing and matching all together like it's a giant party. Um, each listing lists the personal data, the history, the powers and weapons of any of the individual characters or you know uh, vehicles or settings. Um, the background, the, the, every image consists of a main uh, image. Uh, each page consists of a main image where it's the, um, the character in, in full color with the background being a, a single color uh, with a logo, sometimes the standard logo and sometimes logos they made up just for the series. And, of course, every page is surrounded by the classic yellow uh, dot matrix panel borders, uh, <laughs> which are fantastic. Um, most of the issues come with a pronunciation key, although this one, this number three does not. There's Ooh. A, yeah, well, everybody knows how to pronounce Blue Devil. Um, there are no <laughs> advertisements. This is a full DC presentation from beginning to end, which was a really great idea. I think it really helps. And um, just as uh, the, the last thing I wanted to mention is you don't – we like to think you don't need to have the issue in front of you to listen to the show. Some people have said that they, they don't have this series and they enjoy listening to it anyway, which is great because we like to think that you know we provide enough of a sort of – context um, that you don't need to have in front of you. That said, 
Um, we have added something since the last episode, which is a Fire and Water podcast Tumblr, which is pretty much the address is pretty much what I just said, fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. And you can go there, and we have selected pages from each issue of Who's Who on the Tumblr. So if you want to look at some of these images as we're going through them, you can go to Tumblr and just scroll through. Because they're done in, in the reverse order of how they are in the book. And uh, so you can see some of the images of uh, what we're talking about. We encourage everybody, though, if you don't have this series, to go out uh, to you know, eBay or your local comics dealer and buy these uh, issues and help uh, stimulate the economy. That's right. And if you're DC Comics, don't sue us. We didn't publish every page. No, we're, <laughs> we're doing them a giant favor. Yes, we are. We're trying to generate interest for them. Yeah. So um, let's let's jump right into this thing, man. Uh, we, we talked about the cover a little bit already. Let's let's get into it. I uh, this cover is very exciting for me. It's it's per, George Perez and Dick Giordano who did this GM cover. Right. And the, and, pre- the previous two were just Perez by himself. This is the first one that he's not inking. And uh, I'll be honest, uh, you can kind of tell. Um, and I'm not trying to be mean, but I feel like this cover is missing a little bit of, of something that the previous two were. And I can't put my finger on it until I notice that I had a different anchor. That may be it. I'm not sure. But the, each cover on the forward section ha- features sort of like the main character for that book or the most popular character. For the first issue, it was Aquaman, um, surprisingly enough. Uh, I'm, the just, second- I'm ignoring that <laughs> the second issue was Batman, and uh, many Batmen, actually, Batmen and uh, Batgirls and stuff on the cover. This issue, they don't have a primary lead character of someone that, you know, um, that was as renowned Super Friends level as those. So the cover is sort of shared between, I would say, Blue Devil and um, Black Lightning. Yeah, yeah, Blue Devil's a little less prominent than the other guys were in the previous covers. Yep. Plus, he's looking, if you look at the, if you hold the book, you know, folded the way you folded and stapled. He's looking off, off uh, panel, not panel. He's looking off the page to the back cover, which, when it's folded, is kind of awkward looking. You know, when you see right. the whole gate folded, it, it makes sense. But uh, if you just see it on the stands or something, it looks a little strange. Like, why is he? That's kind of an odd direction for him to be looking. <laughs> Plus, his one uh, hand is colored wrong. <gasps> I never noticed that. There you go, the ballad of the white glove. That's right. Um, but he's uh, he had his own series at the time, so he was sort of a headliner, but he wasn't as well-known as the others. And Black Lightning had been a character that had been around for a long time, and he was very critical to the Batman and the Outsider series, was just kind of getting rolling at this point. So um, so that that's why you have them, too, as, as the front cover. But, you know, everyone else is doing their kind of usual jam thing. Bouncing Boy is bouncing around like crazy uh, and riding him, like uh, holding on for dear life, like holding on to an overinflated beach ball. Is the bug-eyed, um, bug-eyed bandit? Yeah, bug-eyed bandit, which is hysterical. Now, I like that they paired up on this cover, Brainiac and the Brain, because both of these were George Perez redesigns, and both of them I always felt were a little too similar. <laughs> yeah, I think definitely went to the um, same Apple store for their redesign. <laughs> and I also like uh, where Bulwana Beast is standing right behind Bronze Tiger. Because Buana Beast is famous for merging two types of animals, mm-hmm. and it almost looks like he and Buana Beast are merged here. A little bit. He's got his hand on Bronze Tiger's shoulder, which is interesting because Bronze Tiger was a bad guy. I think he wouldn't put up with that. Right. He's not going to take. He's not going to take that crap. <laughs> and then, uh, do you see Black Mana in the back? Who's riding? Yeah. Well, who he's riding? Yeah. What is he riding? Oh, he's riding. I, uh... I had to look it up. It's Biff, the Hawkman villain. It is. 
Yeah, because Bith's a shape changer. Oh, really? Oh, like, he, He's riding this giant horned dinosaur yeah. lizard looking thing. And I was like, what is this? This is crazy. He's like, is this from Barren Earth or something? What is this? And I had to look it up. And sure enough, Bith is a shape changer. And that's one of the creatures he had changed into I previously. Did. I have no idea. I've had this comic for 30 years. I never realized that. The more you know. <laughs> and uh, I like I, uh, I'm sorry. Can I say Black Mana gets a little bit of a short shrift on this cover? What? The... It's, made up. He... It's, it's made up for inside. Uh, yeah, but he was a big villain, and look, look how tiny he is. He's like basically the smallest figure on the cover. And, you know, maybe that's trying to say something. You know, they realized after launching with Aquaman on the cover, they're like, you know, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. But I'm bumped. Can we not? Can we just? Okay. What? You expect me to be nice to Aquaman? You going to be nice to Firestorm? When yes. we get to. Bu- oh, we'll see. We got a couple of villains here. Let's just see. Everyone, get out your scorecards. Let's see how Mr. Kelly behaves when we cover two in particular villains on this cover. All right, okay. this issue. Uh, okay. One of which you got a very prominent spot, surprisingly, right in front of Brother Blood, who's you know uh, probably one of the larger villains at this point in the DC universe because of New Teen Titans is one of their best-selling comics, and Brother Blood was a major bad guy in that book. Yes, he was. In front of him is Breathtaker, who. They had sort of set up to be a major villain in Firestorm, but then was a complete dud. Okay. It, it did. He totally fizzled out. I never saw him again. So, anyway. But do you see what I mean when I say that the cover just, it, and I don't know, maybe it's the inking. I don't know. It just, it's, it doesn't grab me as much as the previous two. Okay. I like it. I always like to cure Dana's inking, so. I don't know. I don't okay. tell you. I'm not trying to be mean, folks. I'm sorry. It's still a great cover. I mean, it's got Blue Devil, so, I mean, it's like the, the coolest cover yet. So this series is so far where it really the hallmark of, of this series is that we slag on late great artists, Kurt Swan, Murphy Anderson, and or not Murphy Anderson. He's not late. He's great. He's not late. Uh, but Dick Giordano, we really should stop that. We really should stop picking on. Well, okay. Let's let's take a step back, folks, and think about it this way. We love who's who so much that we spend a couple hours every month just to talk about it. So clearly, we love it. And so us picking on it is like picking on your brother. You know, it's it's somebody you love, but you're going to rib them a little. That's what this is. This isn't like totally bashing on Kurt Swan all of them. It's no, like, you know, we love this stuff. We're going to give you a little ribbing. I'm just saying that all the artists that we've said, had said some negative things but tend to be the older guys, which, you know, doesn't look good. Let's just move on. We're, ready, okay. we're getting in the weeds here. Woo! Jeez, man. Somebody just, you know, I don't know. Anyway. All right. Um... The front piece is written by Len Wein. Or is it Len Wein or Ween? Go through this every month. Len Ween. Yeah. Ween. Okay. Great. Thank you. Um, it's like my little personal – it's my ritual. I need you to correct they me. They needed month. a pronunciation guide for this issue apparently. They did. <laughs> uh, the, the entrance, the opening thing is different this time. For issue one and two repeated the same thing. This time it's a letter from an Alfredo um, Palez and uh, Len Verified. came back. It's verified. <laughs> And then Len came back with a response. And really, part of what this is, is clearly DC was under a little bit of fire from the fans at this point because the fans were saying, um, you know, it's it's hard to judge the limits of the characters without, you know, like without Marvel's um, Marvel handbook style of he can lift 26 tons. You know, they so obviously some of the fans were struggling with that. And so Lynn goes on here to say um, that for those of you out there who can't live without such information, though, uh, though we recommend Mayfair's DC Heroes role-playing game, which includes just those sort of details. So it's, 
He's pushing another product, DC had, ancillary product. And as we go through this, I'm going to point out a few other things that kind of hints that they're feeling some pressure to, to quantify what their characters can do. So, um, and that's going to be part of the process of who's who. They evolved, they learned, they did, they made changes as they went along. So, all right. First entry, you folks. Have, well, before we get there, do you notice who's listed as one of the writers for this issue? Marv Wolfman, Len Wein. Keep going. Robert Greenberger, Paul Levitz, Gary Cohn. Gary oh, Cohn. Yeah. Yes, I did notice that before, and and that's probably for the Blue Devil and Bolt entries. Yeah, exactly. So, which is interesting that he wasn't a writer when Amethyst was in here. Yeah. Maybe, well, I guess. Maybe, well, maybe they were. We can go back and look. Right. But, but Gary Cohn, hot dog, nice guy. I was just talking to him on Facebook the other day. Um, okay, Black Lightning is our first entry by Jim Aparo. Yay. And, Yay. And this is a really nice one. Uh, Black Lightning looks really powerful. He looks, I love his face. He's got little bits of lightning bolts crackling around his hands. And this is the era when, you know, as I said, during Batman and the Outsiders. So you've got a great shot here. Um, well, actually, I should say the Outsiders aren't on the image, but there's a great shot of him fighting Tobias Whale, I think is the character's yes. name. Yep. And, uh, by the way, you know, one thing, I don't, I don't know if we've ever mentioned this, Rob. Um, in the, the surprint, which is, again, folks, the monochromatic background. So you've got the full-color character in the front, the monochromatic background. Um, you see how there's a picture of Jefferson Pierce there? Yes. I don't know if we've ever mentioned this or not, but this one of the design elements of this was in the surprint was always intended to be the character's face without their mask. Hmm. I didn't know it was – I didn't know that. Yep, and as we go through this, you'll see it. Um, you'll see almost every character, if they don't wear a mask anyway, there'll just be another picture of them back there. But it's a, it's like a, a close-up profile shot of their face. So you've got a nice one of Jefferson Pierce in his – probably his high school English teacher costume. You know, <laughs> It's a costume. Let's be honest, really, because Black Lightning's who he really is. Um, anyway, and he's frying some other guy in a cool hat. And it's, uh, it makes for a good uh, little entry. And he talks about the Olympics and everything, which is kind of timely. Yes, it's a good uh, – one of the things that you can't help but notice is the coloring in that it is not gouging your eyes out. With its saturation. Uh, as of this issue, they got rid of the flexographic printing process, which had marred the first two issues. And in some in a, in a later issue, I think it's like five or six, they print a letter that asks about that. And uh, the, one of the editors of Wiener Wolfman says that uh, the bugs are still being worked out on flexographic, and they felt that the series was too important to serve as a guinea pig. So as of this issue, the, the, there's, it's just sort of standard comic book coloring as opposed to printing as opposed to the flexographic, which makes for a much more attractive package. You don't have the crazy splotches of color. Yeah, yeah. Now, I will say in previous episodes, I've said what some people feel are disparaging comments about Jim Aparo. We're not intended to be, but um, this is a great picture by Jim Aparo. Yes, this it is. is really, really great. Right. So. I love them. I love the man. Still do. <laughs> All right, on to the next page. Uh, Black Manta. This is a. Hey, 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 hey. You, you were big on taking over Black Bison, so I think it's. I think I need well, to take but, over this one. But I sat in the back seat for two issues. We're on the second character. Um, anyway, this is Black Man. This is Aquaman's villain, drawn by Bill Willingham and Romeo Tangal. A really nice piece. The only part of it that looks a little super goofy is that he's on his tippy toes, which kind of makes it look like he's jumping in the air or something. Um, no, he's swimming. No, he's not swimming. He's most certainly swimming. He There's is. bubbles coming out of his head. That's the bubbles on the back. No, he is not swimming. That's he is the- swimming. All right. He's not swimming. Anyway. Then, he, uh, then he's a ballet dancer. Your choice. That's well. I then fine. Anyway, it's a very nice drawing. I like the dramatic lighting on it and the background. We see him without his mask, as uh, 
Shag just mentioned. Uh, then we see him uh, zapping Aquaman with his uh, eye lasers, which is nice. The only sort of bad part of this whole piece, I would say, is the logo. The logo really looks like somebody just got out a Sharpie marker and just scrolled <laughs> black mana and then surrounded it with some blue. And then they're like, done. Let's <laughs> drinks all around, you know? So um, <laughs> that's the only, the only, the only bad part of that. Um, but otherwise it's, you know, it's a very nice list. It gives you some good details on the character and um, talks about how he murdered Arthur Curry Jr. Becoming one of the Sea King's greatest foes. I would say he's the greatest foe. Well, at this point, that you know, people were still petitioning for you know human flying fish. So, were um, they, they really? There's a couple of things I really dig about this. Uh, I'm going to talk about the the text piece first. I, and this may have been in earlier issues. For some reason, it finally jumped out at me here. His profession, his occupation, is professional, professional criminal. Yep. You know, as opposed to being amateur. I wonder what the four digit IRS tax code is for that. Right. You know, it's it's, it's interesting. Um, there's something in this one that I don't think I've seen in any other Who's Who entry, in, in, at least in the first volume of you know the first 26 issues. There's quotes in here. Mm, that's true. I've never noticed this. It says, little is known of the man beneath the Manta costume, save that, like most of his henchmen, he's black. And then it has quotes. Not that racism is my motive, says Manta, but since blacks have been suppressed for so long on the surface, they fight well for a chance to be masters below. So it's an interesting one that, like, I don't know, maybe because they're nervous of the race issue. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe that's why they put it in quotes, so they're trying to make it sound like he said it, not them. I don't know. <laughs> we didn't say it. We I know. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's ridiculous. It jumped out at me for that reason. It's like, that's really strange. That's a good you know? catch. I don't think I've ever noticed that. that that's Yeah. Did they even do that ever again? I don't think so. I don't remember ever. Until the – then, they, you know, in the in the loose leaf volume, they get into kind of jokey and do interviews and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, they did. But I don't remember there ever being quotes. So. Yeah, that's um, and that's one of the neat things about this character is that he, you know, he, even though he's trying to downplay it there, he is sort of race motivated, which was a really um, powerful topic for DC to tackle back then. And, you know, I'm glad they did. There's things out there in the world that should be talked about. So um, it was really interesting. Now, uh, another thing on this is the artwork. This is by Bill Willingham, folks. I don't know if you caught Rob say that. This We're talking about the guy who writes fables. He drew this back when he was still drawing. That's right. And... and it is a gorgeous drawing. I mean, this is this is up there with modern art, with modern comic book art. Between the shadowing and the line work, and maybe the simplistic costume just helps that, but it's really, really nice. And Willingham's an interesting choice, because he really hadn't been doing much for DC at this point, and certainly hadn't done anything Aquaman-related. I did a bunch of research on this. The closest I could find was, you know, he did the uh, Elementals, and maybe they, DC just felt, you know, hey, he knows how to do water stuff, let's give it to him. I'm not sure. But uh, it came out to be a really great piece. It's definitely one of the, I think, the highlights of this book. Yeah, it's a, it's a very nice looking piece and uh, an interesting choice for, for, you know, matching of character and artist. Yep. Can I have control of the show back now? I'm done. There's no more Aquaman in this issue. So I'm just going to just chill out and wait till we take, get to the end. Take a nap. All right. Next up is Black Orchid. Uh, art by Terry Austin. This is sort of an interesting piece. Black Orchid was, at least back then, a very enigmatic character. No one really knew much about her. She had appeared in adventure comics and appeared here and there in a few books. And she was very much a mystery. She would swoop in, you know, help out, and then disappear, and you never really knew her real identity. So um, this picture sort of, or the image sort of helps reinforce that with one, two, three, four different faces in the background. So, like, she could be any of these people, or these are her disguises she's worn previously. 
So uh, it, it's a nice piece. It's always been a really interesting character with the coloring, too. Lots of different shades of uh, what, fuchsia, I guess, is what you would say. Yeah. And, and she really, you know, she was an effort by DC to make a very mysterious hero. It's a really beautiful illustration. I really, really, I mean, the movement of it, the colors, the, just, I think it's really one of their... I, one of their single finest of the whole series. I think the the the, the sort of um, the curves that he puts in. I mean, the character was always very fl- kind of flew that way. She didn't so much fly; she sort of floated on air currents, and so you kind of get that read from this. Even though she's not flying, but just the the the, the, the curvy lines that he puts in with the cape and the, the bend of her leg. It's really an exceptional drawing by Terry Austin. Yeah, and, and I always thought the the curls in the background, like one of them in particular, just sort of always reminded me of those Nagel posters in the '80s that were yes, so big. Yeah, so, just kind of like there's like hints of that. So yeah, it's it's one of those things where they probably they didn't obviously the um the history is very brief. It's like three paragraphs. They didn't have much to say about her, <laughs> but it, I think it really helps make the character probably you know more more paramount in people's minds because I think the drawing is just so exceptional. And, you know, that's kind of neat to – if you look at Black Manta and Black Orchid, they're on facing pages, the contrast. You know, Black Manta's text piece is on the right-hand side, so you actually get two vertical columns width of Black Manta. And then whereas Black Orchid, as you said, is like, you know, the top two-thirds of the page or whatever. Just interesting the different design aspects they're able to do with the drawings. Yeah, yeah. It was great that they didn't have one set format. They could mix it up depending on how it fit. Yep. All right. Next page is Black Pirate. With a absolutely gorgeous drawing by Jerry Ordway. Um, That's you know, redundant. He, I was going to say, he needs like a praise be his name sort of yeah, line. Yeah, he does. You know, like, you know, the illustrious Jerry Ordway or yeah. something. Because everything he does is just so great. This looks and, like a poster to a gr- the greatest pirate movie they never that's never been made. And you know what? I think maybe that's what he was sort of thinking in his mind when he drew it. Oh, it I mean, has that look to it, sure. Oh, absolutely does. You know, you've got the, the Errol Flynn sort of swinging in on a rope. You've got him fighting with his son. You've got, you know, Spanish um, soldiers he's fighting. You've got the pirate ship. You get a close-up of his face with no mask. Um, and then you've got some interesting cross-hatching kind of work up top. It's more like a canvas pattern, really, than cross-hatching. Well, it's um, duotone. It's duotone board. Is that what that is? Yes. It's a, it's a, do you know what that is? Yeah, I do. But I was wondering okay. if he actually drew this, though, or whether that was due to Because it's so sort of messy. It almost looks like it was drawn rather than copied over from, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm going to bet that it's that it's all duotone board that he then fiddled with it a bit or something like that. Okay, gotcha. But it's, well, it's, it's gorgeous, gorgeous piece. Do you want to tell them what duotone is? Oh yeah, I guess it's, just, it's a board that's uh, got got a treated is chemically treated, and you run over um, a certain kind of um, not an ink but sort of a tone over it, and it pops up. Uh, it, it creates. This, these built-in sort of cross-hessing tones that are already in the board, so it's sort of like uh, almost like invisible ink, and then you you know run it over with the with the with the the brush, and it pops up these these tones, and it's, it makes for a really neat effect. A lot of you know it's great for black and white art because you know you get some level of uh, uh, tones in there without having to use color, and that's kind of what it looks like here. And it looks like um you know like I like I said sort of like a canvas you know like a potato sack sort of. Mm-hmm design pattern so um now black pirate is an interesting character in that he hadn't really been around a lot at this point he had appeared in a couple of justice league issues and i think a dc comics presents he had like a backup story like whatever happened to but beyond that black pirate really was not 
uh, around at this point in publication. He, he would show up in some upcoming All-Star Squadron issues, but those are still a year or two in the future at this uh, from here. Um, interesting character, John Valor, great name for an old Swashbuckler <laughs> character. You know, he, he, he was involved with his son, uh, Justin, who was also uh, a pirate. And then this character, Black Pirate, would eventually come back in James Robinson's Starman series as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Just such a great image. Absolutely love that. I could just, you know what, I'm just going to look at this for a while. <laughs> okay, I, okay. I will then edit out the 20 minutes in between. Okay. We went from yeah, he did. He, he, the next one. And we're back, folks. He cut out 20 minutes of silence of me just staring at this incredible Jerry Ordway drawing. Okay, we're moving on to Black Racer by Jack Kirby and Greg Theakson. Uh, of course, Black Racer, famous for the New Gods storylines. Um, this is a nice image. It's The central image is Black Racer coming right at you, which is something you never want to see, folks. Never, ever. Then, you know, it's the end if you do. <laughs> Flying around him uh, in, the, in the Serpent, you see Black Racer zooming around a little bit. You see Light Ray. And then you see uh, Sergeant Willie Walker, who is his sort of alter ego, who's in a coma. Uh, laying there in the foreground in the Serpent. And uh, this is always, this is such an interesting character to me. And the, the whole concept of he's sort of death who comes for you, but he's riding skis and has ski balls. In the annals of goofy Jack Kirby creations, this is this is up there. But, you know, how, how much goofier is it than Silver Surfer? Really? Well, yeah, I get yes. Well, I can see he, he liked his... Jack Kirby likes his skiing characters or <laughs> slalomy characters. In space. In space, <laughs> yes. So, um, How did those two never team up? I'm sure they probably did in, a, in one of those crossovers, you know, one of those Marvel DC crossovers. They probably did. And then, of course, um, what, was, what was the character years later that was um, – I'm off the reservation here. But uh, in Justice League International, was it the Scarlet Skier? I don't remember. I think I he, should have he, given up that book by that point. Well, it was only in like the, the 20s, though. No, uh, was it? I don't yeah, know. yeah, it was early. Uh, with, it was Manga Khan's, I think, like little schlub, I want to say. But he was he was supposed to be a parody of Silver Surfer, but it just he had skis and ski poles, and it was just <laughs> funny. All right, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm wandering. But it's a nice Jack Kirby piece, um, and uh, it does demonstrate that um, Black Racer needed new color costume design. I think they did change his colors later, a couple years later. I enjoy his occupation, messenger of death. Oh my gosh, I didn't even notice that. So, um, yeah, <laughs> but it's a nice, it's a very nice drawing. Next up is Black Rock. Um, now this is a this is by Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson. It's a very nice, very standard Silver Age looking drawing. So I mean, you've got the nice sort of barrel chested guy there. He's got you know, your dramatic pose in the background. The Serpent, you see a lot of different faces because Blackrock has actually been three different guys. And you see him blasting a Silver Age Superman in the face, and he's sort of coming out as pixels out of a television. And uh, interesting character. I don't know if you read through this closely, Rob. This is sort of... and it's, I don't know if this is the first you know, sort of character to ever do this, but he's a early corporate superhero. He, <laughs> he started off that way, at least. Uh, eventually, you know, he becomes a villain through circumstances. Uh, but he was a corporate superhero, which was kind of a thing in the 80s and 90s. So I found that very interesting. I feel like this is something we have to tread carefully because uh, I don't have a whole lot of nice things to say about this listing. And because it's Kurt Swan, I think we're going to get <laughs> trouble. For, there's something about that stance where it's just basically he's just saying, that, here, look at my rock. Like that's basically <laughs> the stance. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. 
But see, I would say, okay, you're right. It's not the most dynamic pose, but I would say, I actually like, this is one of the better ones I like. I think, I think what I'm finding out as I look at more of these, I think I really like Murphy Anderson. Okay. I think is what I'm finding out okay. as, as a comic reader. But um, everything in this drawing, I think, looks nice. Super, Superman's face doesn't quite look right. But uh, other than that, everything looks, you know, accurate and, and nice. But you're right. Maybe it's not as dynamic as it could be. So that's right, folks. Send that hate mail to Aquaman. So, uh, next up is Black Spider. He is sort of a uh, – he's a professional assassin. But I want to say he had – he, didn't he intend to be a good guy? I thought um, so. There was something like that. I don't know. Yeah, because this, this is a great line. Since he intended to prey on criminal, quote, superflies, Needham took the name Black Spider. <laughs> I love that line. Um, this is a great drawing, by the way, by Pat Broderick. Um, this is really sharp. Now, I did a little research. I don't think Pat Broderick had been drawing Batman at this point. So I think this is a case where they just hired Pat Broderick because he's a great artist. I don't think he had a connection to the character at this point. Hmm. Uh, but you get a nice shot of Black Spider kind of leaping in from the top right-hand corner as he leaps down. It's a Got huge a shot image. At, yeah, like, it's a huge yeah. – you're and, and there's not much text because I, I don't think he had had a lot of appearances. And he's, he's clocking Batman just right to the face. That is a great shot. He really does look like he's laying a beat down on Batman there. <laughs> And it looks like Bruce is hurting. Yeah. Like, oh. yeah. And then you've got a, a close-up of his uh, Eric Needleham uh, face in the background there. So that's a nice one. And I like I – like, um, that's got to be – I would say in the background, that's got to be the duotone there. Yes. I be- uh, well, well the, 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 the lines in the background there? Yeah. No, I think oh, that's, you know what? that's You're right. done by hand. That's hand. You're right. Yeah. It's different at the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Look at that. Okay. Yeah, duotone is very even. So, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, okay. that's all. That's he just did that all by himself, Pat Robert. One of the things I like that's interesting about this costume is his mask. His mask is like it's an all orange cowl, except, and I don't know whether they're trying to indicate it's the shadows or his the face is actually a black color in spots. But it, it's an orange cowl, and the the face, at least in the the drawing, is all in shadows, except you can see a an orange spider on his forehead, which mm-hmm. is really really nicely done. So cool looking character. Next up is Black Star, drawn by Carmen Infantino and Rick. Is that Madvar? Mag- Magvar? Ma- I always thought it was Magyar. Oh, it's, it's a M- G. On yeah. mine, the, mine, mine, the G and the wire cut off. Oh, really? Mag- uh, yeah, no, it's Ma- I always thought it was Rick Magyar. Yep, it is. You're right. Carmen Infantino and Rick Magyar. Um, this is a nice little entry where they go on about how um, Black Star went through the, the black hole, went to the planet Sagar, and with, met the Trobit people. And fought for the Star Sword and the Power Sword. Um, that sounds like an animated show, doesn't it? Like a mid '80s. That's exactly what that was. Actually, that what I just described has nothing to do with this entry. Uh, that was the Black Star cartoon. Oh, oh my god! <laughs> I was describing. Uh, yes, it has absolutely nothing to do with that, folks. You got me this, on that one, Shay. Uh, hooray! I win. I get a point. Black Star is actually a villain of Supergirl. And uh, she got redone years later for the Suicide Squad, made her all, like, S&M-looking. But she, um, just, uh, I, I think I'm done. <laughs> I don't have a lot of nice things to say on this one. <laughs> not, uh, not one of the great, great Husu's images, I agree. She's got sort of a psychedelic bodysuit um, with all kinds of crazy colors and swirls, and she's got a cloak, and she's got glowing, pointy hands. Yeah, so. and there's something about... There no neck. That's yeah, she has no neck. <laughs> and uh, just for the record, it is Black Star spelled with two R's. So. <laughs> right. 
right, we're gonna move on. All right, uh, Blockbuster. This is a neat one. It's by Michael T. Gilbert. Now I had to look him up because I was I was really digging on this drawing. I'm like, this is a cool looking drawing. A Blockbuster and the the shot of Batman like his cowl and stuff is really unique. This is a very interesting art style for DC. And Mike uh, Mike Gilbert is famous really for creating the character of Mister Monster. I love that book. Yeah, I've never read it. Was it fun? Oh, it's, I love that comic. That was a great okay. comic. So much fun. And I don't, I you know, I I forgot to check. But I'm not sure if he was even drawing for DC at this point. No, this is definitely one of the times where they went and picked an indie guy to do yes. one of their listings. So yeah, and it's an, it is an interesting choice. And uh, I I remember at the time I knew who Michael T. Gilbert was, and I was uh, like, oh, that's cool. You know, I just thought that was so cool. It's so neat that they picked somebody kind of odd to do this listing. And, and this is, quite honestly, this is probably the coolest that Mark Desmond, uh, Blockbuster, ever looked, right here. Mm. Um, it's got a shot of uh, in the back, you know him in the foreground. It's this really cool shot. It's hard to make out his face. He just looks angry and shadowy. He's crushing a rock. Um, he's got the, the Hulk. Right. And he's got the Hulk pants on. Yes. And uh, in the background, you've got you know in the person in the water drowning, which is part of the story. You've got Blockbuster breaking through a looks like a steel reinforced wall. And then he, there's this great shot of him towering over Batman. Batman's holding a little wooden club like a caveman. And Blockbuster has a safe he's about to drop on Batman's head. Um, this is great. Now, if you're familiar with Blockbuster, more than likely you're familiar with Blockbuster, the, the, the second version. Roland Desmond. Or their video rental chain. Or, right, or his video rental chain after he reformed and, you know, decided to make some revenue. But uh, Roland was a, a major player in the DC Universe all through the 2000s. Uh, he had started off sort of the Nightwing bad guy and then became kind of, you know, he, I'd say he became well-known throughout the DC Universe as sort of a genius strong guy. Well, this is back when it was his brother, Mark. And he was, you know, sort of a... You know, um, almost a Hulk character, yeah, really. Yeah, he's absolutely a Hulk character, yeah. Yeah. So he was, you know, angry, large, strong, did what people told him to do, and always seemed to be involved with Star Labs as well. So, um, and eventually, I don't remember where it was that he died, but he did die eventually. Oh, and, that's when, and that's when Roland took over. Okay. So. I like uh, Occupation, Ex-Scientific Prodigy, Now Near-Mindless Brute. Sound familiar? <laughs> so that's a, that's a really nice drawing and uh, a great entry. I'm really pleased with that blockbuster drawing. All right, entry. Next up is Block from Legion of Superheroes, art by the amazing Steve Lytle. Oh, Steve Lytle, he is so good. Everything he touched in the 80s was great. Um, you've got a, a nice shot of Block in the foreground, and uh, and he actually, surprisingly, for such a large character, he's sort of small in the foreground. Yeah, it's it's. It, I like Steve Lytle's work, like you do, but it, this is not one of my favorite entries, just because it it just seems at odds with the sort of mass, you know, with the, although you could argue you're seeing a lot of what he can do in the background. Yeah, I would say the Serpent more than makes up for that, though. I mean, you get a nice close-up shot. Here you get, again, close-up shot of his face, but he doesn't wear a mask, so it's just a close-up shot of his face. Uh, and you can see all the little lines and the, and the stress that's in the rock, you know, on his face. Got a great shot of him in the background in sort of a crazy-looking costume, probably one of his earlier ones. Where he's smashing a, you know, like a space car and an alien. The it's like, rah, 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 you know, um, you see him battling. <laughs> Man, like I that. wish this show had stingers because that would be that if I had. <laughs> <laughs> that he's battling somebody here, like in a cave. I'm not sure who that is, but um, there's actually not a lot that's said about Block in his text piece. But this is, you know, I don't know that we, I don't think we've seen a lot of Legion characters in Who's Who so far. No, um, this is really the start. Because, I mean, there's, there's a lot of Legion to come, folks. Um, yes, there is. 
and I, and actually, I, I'll, I'll just give a personal little story real quick. When I, when I first started reading the Legion was probably in around, I don't know, 88, 89. It was when Keith Giffen was writing it with Mary Beerbaum. Mm-hmm. It was the five year later period. Mm-hmm. And that series, they never refer to any of the Legion superheroes characters by their superhero name. Everyone is by their real name in that series. Hmm. Like they call Cosmic Boy Rock Crin, or they'll call him Rock or something like that. They never use the superhero names. So I was like, holy crap. And I'd never read a Legion of Superheroes comic. So I'm like, holy crap. I am never going to make it through this comic with you know, five, a cast of 500. So I literally sat down with every single issue of Who's Who. I wrote down every single uh, character, like on a sheet of paper. Because I'm, I'm all, all about lists. I do it on the computer nowadays. But I, on a sheet of paper, I wrote down every single Legion character. I wrote down their secret identity. I wrote down the planet they were from. And uh, that was probably all I wrote. And who they were connected to. And so Block was a great example. Like I had to find out, you know, what planet that he was from the planet Dryad. Because later on in the comic, they would refer to Dryad but not tell you why they're there. And you'd be like, what? What? Huh? So um, so Legion of Superheroes for me, Who's Who was an amazing reference. And nowadays, you just Google Legion of Superheroes. You get everything you need, you lazy people. But back then, you had to work for it. So um, that's just one of my... One of my fond memories of Who's Who was sitting down using it as like a research tool, you know. So, um, now here in his powers and weapons, you start to see where DC's feeling the pinch of uh, quantifying what their characters can do, because you know they—they, they, as I mentioned in the in the beginning, there's a lot of pressure on them to compete with Marvel's official handbook of the DC universe. So here, I think they're starting to try and quantify what their characters can do. With words, not by saying how much they can do, but by words. For example, it says here, uh, as a legionnaire, he has completed personal combat training as adapted to his physiology with undistinguished results. Undistinguished. What a strange word to use. But as we go through here, a lot of the characters have been given some sort of word level, like almost like, uh, you know, in the old Marvel role playing game, you had like excellent, good, remarkable, it had. Ratings and they all had a word tied to it. It's almost like that, like unremarkable or what was it? Uh, undistinguished. undistinguished. Just like a low, it's a low level. You know, he's not an expert yet. So I think they started started trying to rank their characters with words. You got nothing on that? No, not really. I'm not, I'm not really <laughs> buying your premise, so it's okay. Okay, well, all right. Plus, I'm distracted that the previous listing was a Hulk guy, and now we got a Thing guy. <laughs> well, it's perfect. They should be fighting. <laughs> Blockbuster needs to go to the future. All right. Uh, next up is Blue Beetle. Killer. Ted. Killer illustration. Yes. This is by Steve Rude, folks. This is the Ted Cord Blue Beetle, by the way. And it is absolutely gorgeous Blue Beetle. I don't – was Steve Rude even doing anything for DC at this point or was he still – was he an independent guy? I think he was still mostly just doing Nexus at that point. I think so, too. This is a great shot, folks. Uh, of course, it's got Blue Beetle in the foreground. You've got uh, the sort of scarab symbol behind him in the serpent. Then you've got this great shot of Ted, like his, his sort of a, almost a profile of his face, and like these cool speed lines coming out of his hair. They show the bug floating in the air. They show Ted cradling his, uh, his friend, the original Blue Beetle. And then you see him doing some acrobatic kicking to people and you know, just knocking them down. It is just a great shot. Well, that, that shot of him kicking the guys is done in a very interesting way in that the three guys he's kicking are all in silhouette, and Beetle himself is only an outline. There is no internal detail to the mm. body. It's just out. It's just a, 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 a an outline, and it really makes for quite a gorgeous image. It almost looks kind of neon-y 
Um, and it works perfectly as a background image because it doesn't distract from the foreground image, but it also gives you all the details you need to understand what's going on. It is I think, like a brilliantly conceived piece. Well, also to make it cool, is he's, as I said, it's an acrobatic shot, but he's hanging on to that little zip line rope he's yeah. got that comes down from the bug. So that's an element to it, too, yep. where the line's actually going all, all the way up behind another picture yeah. back up to the bug. Yeah. So uh, this is, just – Yeah, this is beautiful. I, I was never a huge fan of Blue Beetle, but and – and I'm kind of sorry there's so much text because it squeezes the image a little but Boy, that image is just gangbusters. Well, um, by contrast, I am a huge fan of the Blue Beetle. Uh, yeah, I think we know that. I, I love the character. Absolutely love the character. And I – his origin's a, a little convoluted with uh, the original Blue Beetle. It gets a little confusing. And his uncle and all this stuff. There's a lot of that stuff that could probably be flushed now. But um, just – I, I, I'm so I'm, – I'm verklempt. I'm just so excited. I'm sorry. Uh, great text piece going through explaining everything about Dan Garrett, though. It really does a nice job of explaining the legacy of the first Blue Beetle and the second Blue Beetle without actually having an entry for the blues, first Blue Beetle. Right, which they – I don't believe they owned – well, he he. Well, I, they had to uh, because shortly after this, right after the uh, the crisis, you get the Blue Beetle ongoing series drawn by the amazing Paris Collins, and the Dan Garrett Blue Beetle does show up in there. Okay. Right. So, and this you know what this is interesting worth mentioning, kind of related to that. It mentions his first appearance, which is not a DC book. Oh, that's right. It's Captain Adam number eighty three, yeah, which would have been was that Charlton. Charlton, right? Thank you. So, um, I, God, I miss Ted Gord so much. I really do. He's like an old friend that's just missing. I, I think, I, the reason I think that's sort of, sort of interesting is that it's, it's, they're acknowledging that the character existed outside the DC universe. They're not giving you his first appearance in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. They're just giving his first appearance, period. Which is, I think it was kind of neat, just saying, okay, we're, although they don't mention that they've purchased him from another um, company. So if you didn't know, you would just think, oh, I guess DC published a Captain Adam series. They got up to 83 issues. Right. And uh, and for people that were reading contemporaries at this time, they would have seen Blue Beetle probably a month and a half ago for the very first time in the DC Universe in Crisis on Infinite Earths number one. You know, so. you know, before we go even further, I realize I made a mistake when I'm saying this is not the first time DC did that because they did it in the previous issue because they mentioned uh, Black Condor, uh, Black Hawk. Black Hawk was not one of their characters. He first really? No, yeah, they bought him from Quality Comics. He first, oh, that's right. He first appeared in like military comics, so that wasn't one of their series. So I take that back. This is not one of their. This is not the first time they did that. Completely huh. forgot about that. Sorry. Guys. Okay. All right. Uh, moving on to here it is, folks. Oh boy, your moment of zen. Blue Devil, art by Paris Collins and Gary Martin. Oh, this thing's so gorgeous. Um, it's got Blue Devil in the foreground. He is running like onto the next adventure, off onto the like sort of the right hand side of the panel. Just a note for those of you listening to the show: if you don't want to listen to the Blue Devil portion, you can skip an hour ahead in your <laughs> episode feed, and then we'll get to the next listing. So thanks. Anyway, I'm sorry. Sorry, Jack. I didn't interrupt. And don't forget about Bolt. He's part of the bat. Okay, Blue skip, Devil right, skip an hour and a half into <laughs> this episode. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Um, so in the, in the foreground, you've got, again, this blue devil shot looks great. In the background, you've got a nice, nice shot of Dan Cassidy. Uh, you've got blue devil doing a ton of acrobatic flips all around the panel. Uh, the artwork, you've got the schematic of the blue devil electronic suit in the background that we all know so well from the first issue of blue devil. And then you've got Neberos 
which, by the way, is the correct pronunciation. I asked Gary Martin and Dan Michigan themselves. Uh, you've got Neberos, who's holding Blue Devil and zapping him, which is actually what fused him to the suit. Now, Paris Collins and Gary Martin are the original artists on the Blue Devil book. Um, or I should say, they, at least they were the primary artists through issues one through six. Uh, I think there may have been an inker change here or there throughout the series. But um, and Paris Collins had not drawn the main Blue Devil title since issue 6. So at this point, issue 19 is around, so it's been a while since Paris Collins was drawing the primary Blue Devil book, even though he's still done a bunch of the covers. So it was really nice that they brought him back to draw this character. And just to give a nod to uh, Rob's weird obsession, uh, I like here where they say that his height is 6 foot 8, but it's 7 foot if you go to his horn tips. <laughs> Rob's, Rob's got a weird thing for <laughs> appendages in the DC universe. I think universe, they say so. the same thing about Dick Cheney. Um, uh, one of the things I'm curious about, curious about with uh, with Blue Devil, one of the reasons you like him so much is because he first appeared in Firestorm? Believe it or not, I became a fan of Blue Devil and didn't find out until a couple issues in that he had appeared in Firestorm. So I had to go back and buy it, believe oh, it or not. Oh, look at that. Because uh, this all happened before I was buying Firestorm. Oh, well, that's shocking. I know. It is. Um, you know what? That would mean, if you do the math on it, I must have bought... Blue Devil, no, you know what, I bought Blue Devil number one the same month I bought my first Firestorm issue. Never mind. Okay. So, I discovered them both the same month. How cool is that? Anyway, so you give this great history of Dan Cassidy getting trapped inside the Blue Devil suit. Um, talks about him being a weirdness magnet. Talks about his suit. His, his powers and weapons were kind of a big deal because he had a whole sort of Chinese buffet of, of superpowers he could choose from. And uh, so they go through and talk about all those, and they all come from his suit. And, uh, and this character was... Arguably very, arguably very popular at this point. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, um, just it makes me so happy. So, all right. Well, I'll move on begrudgedly. Uh, next up is Bolt, uh, another Blue Devil villain. <laughs> there had to have been some B characters that fit in between Blue Devil and Bolt, and I think DC just took them out just so they could have these two on facing pages. I suppose it's possible. They should have then, you know, put the the, the issues together a little better. Should have had, like Blue Devil leaping towards him, and should have Bolt blasting towards him, or something. There's probably some old forty hero called the Blue Iguana or something that DC's like, no, we're taking him out so we can get Bolt in there. <laughs> well, uh, Bolt was actually fairly new to the DC universe at this point, uh, and he went on though to become pretty much a very frequent low rent super thug. I mean, he was. He was around a bunch. They just started using him. Like, whenever they needed a throwaway bad guy, they brought Bolt in. <laughs> it's true. Um, and at this point, we still didn't know who he was. He turns out he's a special effects artist, we find out later on, in a Blue Devil crossover with Firestorm. But uh, at this point, he was still very much a mystery. And um, he had appeared, I, I think, just one or two issues fighting Blue Devil. So um, I think in the DC Universe, he ended up getting killed by his oh. son, Deathbolt. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what that's what you get when you name your kid Deathbolt. I know. I mean, you're just asking for it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but it's a very nice drawing by Paris Collins. And here's an interesting situation where we've never seen him without his mask. So you still get a large face picture in the background, but it's still wearing his mask. You know? I take so, my mask off for nobody. Exactly. You've got him zipping up in the air as he flies, which I don't. Did, can he fly? I don't remember that. I know he can teleport. It says in who's who. That's oh, he says he can fly. All right. And there's a really neat image of Blue Devil and Bolt fighting each other up in the air with the cityscape behind them. And it's got kind of a cool pattern around it, which uh, Paris Collins yeah, is known Yeah, little going. design element. Yep. 
So, Can neat I, stuff. Something I just wanted to mention is maybe a little uncomfortable, but uh, maybe it's just the way that Paris Collins draws. But uh, if you look at Blue Devil and you look mm-hmm. at Bolt, mm-hmm. uh, they are unique in the mostly listings, and they are both <coughs> kind of rocking huge packages. <laughs> I'm not even going to go near that. I'm just moving on. <laughs> Folks, now we know what Rob's looking at. Here you go. Here's a, here's a package for you, Rob. Look at Bouncing Boy. He's packing, too. <laughs> Bouncing Boy is next, folks, from Legion of Superheroes. We begin our uh, Legion of Superheroes parade. Um, it, it's a drawing by Keith Giffen and Carl Kiesel, and, and, and Keith Giffen at this point was very well known for being involved with the Legion. So it's a nice shot, uh, foreground of him holding his roly-poly belly, <laughs> and then uh, in, in the background, he's just bouncing around like a crazed beach ball. There's several shots of him just going ding, 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 ding. And you can see the Legion, uh, I believe that's the Legion Academy in the background with him. So uh, it's a fun drawing. It's a fun character. And uh, here's the thing, folks, to know about Chuck, uh, Chuck Tane, the bouncy boy. He gives hopes to geeks everywhere because he married the super hot duo damsel. Right. Yeah. That's right. He gets twins every day of the week. <laughs> yeah, he uh, <laughs> definitely an underrated. <laughs> yep. So that should be his superpower. You betcha. He scored, he scored duo damsel. Why would you even uh, waste your time being a superhero? Exactly. So uh, next up is The Boy Commandos by Jack Kirby and Greg, Greg Theakson. This is a fun drawing because you've got, you know, the – there's no real serpent on this other than an explosion. Um, but the foreground, you've got, you know, the boy commandos all doing kind of their thing. You know, you've got uh, Brooklyn carrying his guitar. This is keep your mitts off. You know, you've got Andre who's carrying the American flag. You've got, you know, um, what's uh, Jan with shooting the gun. You know, you've got all your different characters doing something exciting. And then um, with, with Captain Rip Carter in the center. But you've got the far left-hand side is a great sort of traditional – down, down left-hand side column of the characters' faces. You know, you've got Captain Rip Carter, Andre, Jan, Brooklyn, Alfie, Tex, and Percy. And I'm sorry, that was Tex carrying the American flag. I was a little mistaken there. But uh, it gives you your origin of the Boy Commandos, talks a little bit about how they uh, evolved over the years. I never knew they fought an actual supervillain, Crazy Quilt. Yeah, that's, yeah that was much later, obviously, not in the early days. Yep. And then uh, this is one of the types of entries that just gets under Rob's skin where you don't get any um, <clears throat> any info other than the history. You don't get any of the personal data such as first appearances or any of that business. So yeah, it's sort of like the, the first not having the first appearance that's a little like to make to make you always have those. Yep. So but it's a nice drawing by Jack Kirby, very uh, war comic, you know, heroic, nice poses. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot to fit in a tiny space. So I do like that Jan's just firing the machine gun randomly, and uh, it looks like he's going to hit Andre up front. Yes. Uh, or, the, or, or Captain Rick, Hunter's, or Rick Carter's shoe. Right. Oh, you should mention, they uh, their, their first appearance was in Detective Comics number 64. Would you Google that or something? I did. No. Detective Comics 64? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're from the 40s. That's a long time ago. Yes, it was. Kirby didn't draw those, did he? Uh, he did. He drew the. He drew the. He drew, they simultaneously like appeared in Detective Comics in their own book, and he drew them in their own book. So I think it was almost like a that Detective Comics appearance was almost like one of those backdoor pilots kind of thing. I just didn't know he was drawing all the way as early as Detective Comics. What do you say, forty or whatever? Sixty-four. Sixty-four. I didn't thank, know he was drawing thank, as early as then. Attention. Uh, yeah. Who who was drawing back then? I didn't know that Kirby was drawing that early. 
Yeah. Oh, he's drawing. He's drawing comics in 1941. Okay. Wow. It's Captain America. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Um, next up is the brain. Uh, this is a really interesting piece for who's who. They got um, and you know there needs to be a pronunciation key for this because people have fought about this throughout the ages. I say Bill Sinkevich. I've heard some people say Bill Sinkowitz. It's Sinkevich, uh, I believe. I, I believe it is Sinkevich. So, uh, but it's it's the brain by Bill Sinkevich, and it's. I mean, he's. If you're not familiar with him, folks, um, then you probably started reading comics in the last 10 years. He, he's really interesting. Very, I don't know, Rob, you're the artist. How would you describe his style? Um, almost, um, hmm, well, I, I, in terms of the, I don't know how to describe it exactly. I mean, it's uh, almost avant-garde in a lot of ways. It reminds me a lot of uh, Ralph Steadman, the work of Ralph Steadman, who covers, did, did covers for uh, Rolling Stone and did, uh, I think, the covers for all the Hunter S. Thompson books. Um, very, just very exaggerated, very cartoony, but also kind of gritty and dark. Um, it's, it's, it's in portions of it are sort of photorealistic almost. And then other parts are very cartoony and very, very abstract. So it's, it's an interesting melding of those two sort of aesthetics. And, and this, this piece is great because, you know, the character is just this pillar with a brain sitting in it. <laughs> There's not much for you to be able to do. And, yeah, and that and that's the George Perez redesign of the brain that was used in New Teen Titans. So yeah, it's it's the the metallic skull face with this pulsating brain it stuck on it. It's like a giant pinball machine, right? Because it used to just be a brain in a glass jar. Right. You know, now it's you know now it's like a really cool skull face sort of thing, and uh, it's got a neat couple drawings of Monsignor Mala, who I did not realize was intelligent enough to do brain surgery. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Yeah. So. And the brain was uh, sort of uh, a major player in the Doom Patrol for years as a bad guy with the Brotherhood of Evil. And uh, this is just a nice, nice piece. It sort of nods the, to the history. And then also kind of uh, the foreground image really gives you a sense for what uh, George Perez is doing nowadays. And actually, you know, that's that foreground piece. Wait, the foreground piece is what George Perez is doing nowadays? Well, I'm sorry. At the contemporary of this comic. <laughs> you know, is what I'm trying to say. What What – the background shows you the brain's history. The foreground shows you what the brain looks like at this point that right. George Prince was drawing. Okay. And where, where, sorry, where I was really trying to go here, what I'm trying to get to, is the foreground picture is surprisingly restrained for Bill Sienkiewicz. I mean, that looks almost like a Perez drawing. And that's not normally Sienkiewicz's style. He draws so strangely. To have him actually draw something that looks a little George Perez-ish is kind of surprising. Hmm. All right. I'm not really seeing a Perez in there, but all right. I do. But um, now, Sienkiewicz, at this point, he had done almost no DC work. Yeah, he was a Marvel guy, yeah. He was very much a Marvel guy, still more so Marvel than DC. Um, And I think he literally had done a pinup or two for DC at this point, and that was it. So it was really cool to get him, and really interesting choice for that uh, picture. I mean, I wonder if they asked him, like, what do you want to do? Something strange. (laughs) Yes, because that's how he talks. That's how I imagine he talks. (laughs) Yeah, man, his stuff is great. he did a classic illustrated of oh gosh, was it Moby Dick? I think it was. You know, back when they redid Classics Illustrated in the nineties, mm-hmm. he did. I, th- I want to say it was Moby Dick or something, but it was like so weird and so cool. Those were cool. That was a cool series. Yeah. So uh, that is the brain. I, I want to say on though the brain, height, yeah. weight, eyes, hair, all inapplicable. <laughs> and his drawing takes up three quarters of the page, by the way, mm-hmm. which is sort of surprising because he has a lot of history. I mean, he's not a new character. There's, there, there are lots of things to say about him, but they just, just chose not to in favor of this gorgeous art piece. So, 
All right, next up is Brainiac by Ed Hannigan and Mike DiCarlo. This is a great shot of the Superpowers era version of Brainiac, um, where, you know, very robotic, um, very action-oriented, very kind of almost creepy-ish looking. And uh, in the Serpent, you've got him battling, you know, the old green-faced um, Brainiac. You've got lots of cabling and computer wires and stuff. You see him connected to his computer, which always freaks me out. Like, whenever his head is connected to that big, long tube, it looks very much like Alien. Mm-hmm. You know, the H.R. Geiger Alien is yes. kind of freaking me out. You see his uh, brain ship with all the tentacles in the background. It's a really nice drawing by Hannigan and DiCarlo. Really nice. Yeah. Lots of space for text on this one. Yeah. They give him, yeah. they give him lots of room to uh, his story to breathe because he's got a huge, long history with Superman. Um, he goes all, back all the way to Action Comics 242, and his occupation is would-be world conqueror. <laughs> It's kind of sad that it's would be. Uh, just it, it implies. It sounds like you're fan. siding with him. Well, I'm, you know he tries really hard, and you know there's a lot to be said for effort, and I just feel bad for the guy. So I, I do like how they. And I didn't realize this. I, I used to read um, post invasion series called Legion L period E period G period I. You know, um, with led by Vril Dox. You know, remember that comic? Not really. I mean, yes, but I never read it. Okay. It was like Legion 89 and Legion 90 and all that stuff, and then it became Rebels and all that. Anyway, I didn't realize Vril Docs went all the way back to pre-crisis. I had no idea. And they actually talk about here that Vril Docs was sort of his son-ish uh, in this. And I was like, I did not realize Vril Docs had a pre-crisis existence. So that was kind of cool. Right. And whenever I see this version of Brainiac, I always hear the superpowers Brainiac. In my <laughs> but do you want to squeeze him, have him do his Brainiac kick? Well, it's the, no, it's the voice from the cartoon. That dude, the guy, whoever did his voice, it's like I hear it in my head every time I see this. So, I like his brunette's eyes, photocellular. Seriously? Oh, how funny! It's the most beautiful romantic. God, your eyes are so deep. They're so wonderfully photocellular. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you 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 don't hold a candle to the guy who did the superpowers cartoon. Sorry. All right. Um. Next up is Brainiac 5, another Legion character, this time drawn by Kurt Swan and Carl Kiesel. And this is another very nice Kurt Swan drawing. I, I would hesitate to probably guess that Kurt Swan, I'm sorry, Carl Kiesel played a large effort in making this so nice. But uh, you've got Brainiac 5 standing there looking very heroically with his, uh, his super belt and green skin. <laughs> well, that belt was like they always talk about his force field belt. It's like it's like whenever they talk about it, he's smart and he's got a force field belt. He's got three VHS tapes attached to his belt. That's true, he does. Um, <laughs> so you've got him in the foreground. You've got a shot of him without his mask in the background. Doesn't wear one anyway. You've got him being shot by is that Tharok. What is that guy's name? Something like that. We'll get to it. One of the fearful five guys. Uh, and then you've got him getting all snuggle woggle with Supergirl. Which is sort of interesting because Supergirl is not mentioned once in the text, mm. which is quite surprising. Uh, y- it may be they were getting ready for you know who, uh, crisis at this point. Maybe they knew what was coming, so they removed that on purpose. I'm not sure, interesting, but yeah. it, it's very because Supergirl plays a big part in his life. I mean, yes. that's his that's his snuggle bunny right there. And uh, and I'm sorry if I was tapping Supergirl, I'd be talking about it. In my oh, Lord. Sorry. Supergirl's a thing for me. You were so. all sweet, and then, he, and then it became that. <laughs> Sorry, I like Supergirl. Anyway, um, but it, they did manage to get her in the drawing, which is great. Now, here's another one of those uh, things where they're trying to rate their characters 
with the text. It says that he uh, he has completed personal combat training inattentively. <laughs> so he's done it, but he didn't pay attention. So I can. I, why am I imagining a sort of uh, TV series or movie series where it's Legion of Superheroes, but they're in the academy, so it's like Legion of Superheroes Police Academy type series. Oh jeez! You know they—they they could do that. They could totally do that. <laughs> Guys, it's Guardian of the Galaxy meets Police Academy. It's high concept, right? On a, on a bus. Um, okay, so next one is Brainstorm. Goofy Art meter by... set to eleven. God, man. Well, I was, was going to get to that, but yeah, it's by Kurt Swan and Al Williamson. And the art itself, there's nothing wrong with the art in this one, <laughs> although Wonder Woman looks a little strange, but. There's nothing per se wrong with the art. It's it's what the art's about. Brainstorm <laughs> is one of the most ridiculous looking villains. He's he's got these huge flared shoulder pieces. He's got your very stereotypical, which you imagine from the silver Silver Age helmet. He's got this bullet shaped helmet that comes off of his head. It's 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 almost two heads high. This helmet with little Saturn rings and a little ball at the top that glows. It's a silver helmet. He he's the kind of character they trot out. For these big mass villain scenes when they want to be humorous, like they'll show a bar full of failed supervillains or something. <laughs> JLI kind of humor. He's one of those guys. I mean, literally, you see him, him in JLI comics. Um, I like that in the text beast. He actually has like a tag phrase, like Batman's, you know, the Dark, uh, the dark Knight. Uh, this guy's apparently the Star Bolt Warrior. <laughs> I think it's what he calls himself. I could be, probably, when he's looking in the mirror. I am the Star Bolt Warrior. I am the Star Bolt Warrior. And darn it, people like me. Um, he's just, he's embarrassing, but I'm, I'm glad they included him. He's a justice league villain. So he's worthy and he's appeared multiple times. So he's worthy of being in here. Um, he just, and the art's fine. He just looks ridiculous. Nice thinking by Al Williamson. Yeah. It's really nice. I mean, you've got the, you've got him in the background, of course, without his mask. You've got him with like energy crackling out of his ridiculous helmet. And, uh, he's grabbing Batman and Superman in a little energy cage. And then the bottom, he's frying, uh, the Flash, Hawkman, and Wonder Woman, and I really like the the shot because you're actually sort of like behind Hawkman, and his wings are taking up the majority of the shot. You can barely see anything else going on, which is kind of a cool effect. So um, yeah, it's an unusual angle. Yeah, it's really nice. Again, Wonder Woman looks a little strange, but other than that, it's a it's a nice drawing, except for the character himself. <laughs> so um, I think that one should go up on Tumblr, Rob. This is just ridiculous. So, all right. Next up, the brainwave. Um, super villain drawing. Yeah, it's it's super fun. Joe Staten is it Staten or Staten? Staten. Staten. Joe Staten, and uh, the brainwave is an old JSA villain, folks. And uh, he's got this huge skull. Like his brain is like overly grown. Another 50 sort of looking character. And his, his brain is oversized and his skull is just enormous. He's got these huge circular glasses that you can't see through. <laughs> Absolutely reflective. Otherwise, he's just wearing sort of a green drab, uh, you know, shroud almost is, is what he's wearing there. Cloak. And uh, it's, a, it's sort of a fun character, but the drawing is great. Joe really did a nice job on this. And you've got in the background, of course, another shot, close-up shot of his face, even though he doesn't work. Uh, a mask. You, you've got that. You've got him in his different phase when he he sort of there was an era where he cast this illusion of this super powered version of himself in this giant red costume with red hair and stuff. You've got that one. Then you've got one where he's locked the JSA in these little tiny cages, and you've got him blasting, mind blasting against um, the ultra humanite. So it's a wonderful drawing. Wonderful yeah. drawing. 
Yeah, really great. And this is another character that gives hope to geeks everywhere um, because Brainwave married uh, Mary, Girl of a Thousand Gimmicks, and she's a little cutie. So I'm just saying that... Um, well, she had a thousand gimmicks. She, well, there's a reason she was popular with the boys. Anyway, uh, so it gives hopes to all, all nerds out there everywhere. So, But this talks about uh, Henry King, uh, premiered all the way back in All-Star Comics number 15, and uh, battled the JSA numerous times. And then again into the 70s, and, um, and I don't really remember if it was in the All-Star comics where he got brought back, or the JLA issues, or like those Detective Comics backups. But somewhere in there he was in there. And then uh, he makes reference to Brainwave Jr., who we'll talk about in just a second. Mm-hmm. Moving on right to Brainwave Jr. by the uh, illustrious Jerry Ordway. Praise be his name. <laughs> we, we need something better than that. But um, Brainwave Jr., what's that? How much better is it supposed to get? Well, I mean, that, that's, that's Jose's Oh, thing. I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I like his logo. looks very Shazam-like, you know. <laughs> it really does. But you've got this great shot of Brainwave in the foreground, a nice, classy Jerry Ordway shot. He's sort of looking off in the distance, and he's got his hand raised like, you. Yeah, I'm taking down you next is kind of what it looks like he's doing there. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's running towards the camera while looking off to the side. You see in, in the serpent, you've got a nice shot of his dad, uh, the original brainwave. You've got a shot of his mom, Mary, super hot, uh, of a thousand gimmicks. And you've got him riding like a, a mental constructed surfboard and, uh, and a shot of him without his mask. So, oh, and I, oh, and you know what? The serpent is showing waves of energy coming off his, his face, off his brain. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's very nice. I didn't notice that. So it's a nice shot of Hank, uh, Hank King Jr., and talks about, you know, how he – and he hadn't been around that long, actually, at this point. He had first appeared in All-Star Squadron, and then they talk about his uh, involvement with Infinity Incorporated. And uh, by the way, for those of you sort of continuity guys, Brainwave Jr.'s costume is actually the same basic costume that his dad was – projecting as an illusion that I mentioned earlier, kind of a red, a red costume with red hair that he hid behind for a while. That's essentially the same costume Brainwave Jr. wears. Right. So the cats in the cradle and the, no. <laughs> and sadly years later, they would go on to ruin Brainwave, Brainwave Jr. in extreme, extreme justice. But, um, wasn't everything ruined in extreme justice? Not everything, but that certainly was. Thankfully, Jeff Johns came back and fixed that. Okay. Uh, next up is the breathtaker. I'm sorry, there's no the, it's just Breathtaker. I apologize. <laughs> Damn it. He doesn't have that little title. He hasn't earned the the yet. Anyway, he's Breathtaker. And um, it's a really nice drawing by Raphael Cayannon. I mean, it's really cool. I mean, if you, if you didn't know DC Comics and you read this, you'd be like, dude, this is somebody right here. This is a dude you don't want to mess with. He's covered in this, this purple magenta cloak. It's pulled up over his head, and all you can see is his blazing white eyes coming out from underneath it. In the serpent, you can see this scary skull face, and, uh, and he's standing over Firestorm just very powerfully. He's like, wow, this is a cool character. Until you read his entry. Um, and you find out he's really just an uh, albino dwarf who's wearing, wearing a power suit. And um, it really only appeared like once. And I honestly, until I read this Who's Who entry, I had forgotten about the character. <laughs> and I run a Firestorm blog, guys. So All sizzle, no steak. Yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll re- I need to reread those issues and, and refine my love for him. Because ironically, he appeared in like the second or third comic Firestorm I bought. So, <laughs> anyway. Okay. Bronze Tiger. Right, here's a character I... I 
I don't really get this character's old history. You know, um, I, I know about his days in Suicide Squad and beyond, but before that, I, I really don't know anything about Richard Dragon. Uh, all, and maybe you can fill in some holes here, but real quick, it's, it's Bronsteiger by Dennis Cohen and Frank, I guess, Giacola? Yeah, G- yeah, I always thought so. Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice drawing of Bronsteiger. He's, he's sort of looking right at you. He's got that tiger headpiece on, which thankfully he, he lost in, in a move. Uh, years later, um, and, and in the box of, marked kitchen utensils. I know. I, I swear it was there when I moved to the Suicide Squad headquarters. <laughs> why did he? Why did he turn know. into an old, old that, Jewish that's my guy? Funny, it's my funny voice. I don't have a lot of funny voices. Just go with it. Roll I, with it. You have one at least. So, and then in the background, you've got him without his mask, and he's boldly wearing an earring. It's something you didn't see a lot at this point in comic books. And uh, he's he's kicking butt with Batman in the background. Real tiny little image of him doing a flying kick at Batman's head. And then you see some cool weapons, which was this was this was the shiznit in the eighties. Like, let me tell you, you got the nunchucks, you got the side, the throwing stars, the katana, and a staff. And it's like, wow, it's all of the Ninja Turtles right there in one drawing. You know, um, and you've got the yin yang symbol. Because let me tell you, folks, if you don't know, America was crazy for ninja stuff. Young boys were crazy for ninja stuff in the in the mid eighties. So, um, did you, did you, are you familiar with Richard Dragon at all? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I I, I literally don't know anything about him. I either, other than he was this kung fu character who was sort of like a superheroish guy who had his own series in the seventies. Not too much else. I mean, okay. he was basically one of these guys. Created to cash in on a fray, on a on a craze, I would say. But he seems to be like held with a lot of respect. Like I don't know. Anyway, uh, it's it's talked to whispered about in the annals of comic history. But uh, and so this is Bronze Tiger. He was friends with Richard Dragon, but then eventually went to the dark side and worked with the League of Assassins, and then sort of worked his way back to trying to be a hero. So um, interesting character, but really I. From, unless someone can stand up and cheer for Richard Dragon, which I bet you Diablo Frank can, um, I would say that it wasn't until Suicide Squad that he really came into his own. But that's just my take on it. Next up is Brute, a very nice drawing by Sean McManus. Very pretty drawing. Uh, I'm a big fan of Sean McManus. Me too. And I just love his work. And Brute is a member of the Omega Men. And so in the background, you've got like a nice close-up shot of his face. You've got him and his wife. You've got him beating the crap out of some bad guys. And um, this is it's just a nice, clean line drawing, nice, clean colors. Yeah, it gives you the sense of the power, the massiveness of the, the figure. Yeah. He, he's 8'4", 650. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even notice that. Okay, wow. He is huge. You know, maybe this is one of those that they should have done where he took the whole page then, just to emphasize that. I don't know. But nice drawing. Next up is Brother Blood by George Perez. And uh, it's a really nice shot of Brother Blood. If you've never seen the character, Perez really did an interesting design where he's sort of like, it's almost like there's a, a, a snake or something eating his head. It's, it, the way the costume design is, it's a white design. You've got fangs coming down across his forehead. His eyes are completely in black. It's a really striking design using red, black, and white. It's a combination you don't see that often, and uh, it's really done well here. In the background, you've got you know uh, him without his mask. You've got I think that's a there's a nun. There's him zapping some stuff, and a, a smoldering cauldron. It's just a really cool shot of Brother Blood. This is an era of New Teen Titans I haven't actually read. I've got I own all the New Teen Titans that Perez did. I've never actually I haven't finished reading all of them. So this is a character I I'm yet to really learn a lot about, other than you know his much later appearances I read when I was reading New Teen Titans. <laughs> 
I have, I have nothing to say about Brother Blood. You have nothing to say. Okay. Uh, there it is. Brother Blood. As, as a member of the Church of the Blood, I am not allowed to say anything about it. Right. First rule of the Church of the Blood, don't talk about the Church of the Blood. So, but it's, it's a gorgeous George Perez drawing. I think this, it's probably the only Perez drawing <clears throat> until the next page. The <laughs> it's the only George Perez drawing in this book until the very next one. Page. Right. Uh, next page, Brotherhood of Evil. And these are uh, – was originally sort of a Doom Patrol group of villains and then was uh, – they became new Teen Titans villains. And again, art by George Perez. You've got a nice shot of all the Brotherhood of Evil because there was really kind of two major eras of the Brotherhood of Evil. There's the old days, uh, which is represented on the left-hand side with those little um, – what do you – it's got a left-hand column going down of characters. You've got oh, the, the brain. The insets. I call them. Inset? There you go. That's a good one. The old inset pictures. It's got the brain, the old version of the brain, which is just basically a brain in a jar. The brain, Monsignor Mala, Madame Rogue, Gargwax, and General Amortis. And that was I sort of your... Cl- isn't it um, Madame Rouge? Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. Yeah. The, Rogue- G, I, the, the G's in... This, that's my fault. I was imagining the G was one letter over. Yeah. It's Rouge and Rogue. I don't know if you've ever played Scrabble, folks. It's spelled the same way. Or different letters. Same letters, different order. So, Madame Rouge, uh, Gargak, Gar- Gargawax, and General Immortus. And those, that's sort of the classic Doom Patrol villains of Brotherhood of Evil. And when they're recreated for the New Teen Titans, then you've got the, the right-hand side of inset pictures. You've got, again, the brain, but in his new costume, Monsignor Mala, which is apparently he went to um, the store and bought some bandoliers. You've got Hungen. Phobia, Plasmus, and Warp. So, um, really Pla- nice. Plasmus, Plasmus reminds me of um, Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs. <laughs> he totally does. Um, it, it's, it's a interesting group of villains. I mean, I, Madame Rouge, I always thought was strange on her stretching. Like, it didn't sort of match with the character, I always thought. Mm. But it's, it's done really effectively here. She's stretching up behind everybody, and she's got her arm going... Coming out right at the camera, really large in the front of everyone's face. Um, Phobia's cape is flowing everywhere. Hoongan's got his little uh, electronic voodoo doll. Gargawax is sort of in the background as if Perez is saying, I don't really care about this character. Big fat green guy. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Warp is flying around. Um, you'd think he'd be creating maybe a warp, but anyway. Monsignor Mala is you know, brandishing his weapons, and General Mortis has got his weapons, and Plasmus is you know, ready to melt something. It's a nice, great drawing. And, and, and in typical Perez style of this era, you know, there's black, like, or I mean, not black, brown, looks like old volcanic rock underneath them, you know. <laughs> I wonder how the Perez brain loved it. Brain, uh, he loved to draw those giant rocks like that. Yes, brain. I'm sorry. I, left I was just saying, I was wondering how the brain managed to ma- navigate across those rocks. Well, Monsignor Mallock carries him everywhere. Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's nice. Yeah. What are the power source he uses? You know, like double A's or something? Anyway. <laughs> Solar, I would think. Right. Next up is Brother oh, here we go. Power the Geek. Now, it says art by Valentino and Carl Kiesel. Is that Jim Valentino? It is. Um, no. I think. Uh, you know what? Let's Google that while we're talking. I don't right, well, believe I'll, that. Ta- I'll, I'll talk with you, Google. Valentino. Pa- well, va- wait a minute. Hold on. Hold, just calm down. Valent- <laughs> Valentino was was an artist who was doing a book for Aardvark Vanaheim, which uh-huh. was the uh, Cerebus publisher, Neil the Horse. He was doing the book Neil the Horse. Okay. And um, it was by – so that was another instance where they were grabbing a indie guy and um, getting him to do – um, a, a, a you know thing for DC, which was cool. okay, but I don't believe it's the same guy. 
And you know what I notice is they don't actually label him as Brother Power the Geek. They just label him as Brother Power. Yes. So, um, it, <laughs> weird character, folks. And just really strange. Um, he, in the 60s, these group of hippies basically threw some old wet clothes on a, like a tailor's dummy. And because it sat next to an old iron radiator for several months, it came to life. <laughs> and it became Brother Power, you know, the geek is the rest of his name, but uh, became Brother Power, who was sort of this rag doll that it was sort of a way for the writer to show society and why, some of the things that didn't make sense with society and show it as they taught him in, in his naive ways of trying to, like, figure out the way the world worked and how it was kind of screwed up to the point where he even ran, for, I think, for Congress, didn't he? I think so. Uh, you know what? I found them. I made a mistake there. Valentino is not the guy who did Neil the Horse. That's Arn Saba. I'm sorry. But Valentino did Normal Man for Aardvark Vanaheim, which, uh. which I should have remembered because I used to read that book. Anyway, that is the Valentino. And it is the same guy. It is the, he, he, it is the same Jim Valentino who went on to Image. It was all the same. Oh, book. it is Jim Valentino. It is. Okay. It is. Gotcha. So it's a very fun drawing, and he just looks very ragdollish. Now, I when I think of Brother Power, I think of the '90s, like a Vertigo series they did, Brother Power the Geek. So um, anyway, neat character, very strange, very strange. It's, it's very, it's very odd that they put him in here. I, I um, said this was, I think, DC having fun because they real. I think they had to acknowledge this was one of their more infamous failures, and I think they had to just put him in there because they they. I, I think the people that were making this series grew up in the '60s, and I think this this character loomed large in people's memories because it was such a bizarre failure. So I think they had to had it had to have him in there. They just couldn't leave him out. It was just too too good not to put in. Well, he um, and you know, and there may be people who felt like it really spoke to them. I don't know. He only appeared <laughs> before this entry, folks. He only appeared twice. Yeah, he had his own <laughs> series for two issues. And that two was issues. Brother Power of the Geek number one. Brother Power of the Geek, Geek number, number two. two. Nineteen sixty eight. And uh, now Ambush Bug did pick him up and make it, put him in there, you know, shortly after Who's Who. But Occupation, right. Free Spirit. Right. <laughs> all right. Uh, next up is woo, uh, this one. It's, this is someone that goes right with uh, Brainstorm. Um, brother, uh, sorry, Bug-Eyed Bandit. <laughs> uh, by, art by Gil Kane. Now, I will say this. This is some really nice Gil Kane art. You betcha. I like this. This is really good. Uh, once again, we suffer some, from the same problem we stuff, suffered from with Brainstorm. Really nice art. The subject is ridiculous looking. No way to make this guy look cool. No way to do it. Absolutely not. I mean, it's right there in the name. Bug-Eyed Bandit. Even if you redesign his costume, you're stuck with the bug eyes. <laughs> um, he's got a purple cowl glowing – or a big green bug eyes and these orange antenna that stick up out of his mask. And he's got like – looks like someone took a coat hanger to get better TV reception and wrapped it around the antennas. Um, and he's battling the Atom, which – no offense to the Atom. I love the character, but – if you're an Atom villain, I mean, come on, the guy's tiny. You're just you're just asking for trouble if you're continuously beat by the Atom. And he's got these flying bugs that are coming down to fight the Atom. So this is another character that they would trot out for those JLI humor-type scenes where you see Brainwave in the background with Bug-Eyed Bandit, you know, or, or very much a Batman Brave and the Bold kind of villain. You know, just really embarrassing. So Bertram... Larvan, I don't think we'll see you in the new 52. Lar- and his name was Larvan, so of course he yep. had to become the Bug-Eyed Bandit. Exactly. He was destined. All right, next up is Bug and Bite. This is... I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, folks, 
We, I told you earlier on in the episode, keep out your scorecards to see if Rob can control himself during the firestorm sequences, and no, he cannot. I can't wait till we get to the F issue and he takes on floppy disk. <laughs> Look out, it's 3.5. Um, all right, it's Bug and Bite, brother and sister, uh, Barney Bonner and Blythe Bonner, and um, – Art by Raphael Kayan, and it's really striking art. I like it. I've always liked the look of these characters. You know, Bug is green and purple, and it's just lots of little intricate line work on his costume, you know, to look like microchips, you know, spliced together kind of thing. And uh, he, he looks, you know, he's got sort of an insectoid look at the same time, very computer looking. And then his sister is the sexy bite, all blue and white. Um, she's also got the same sort of little microchippy type design. Uh, along the legs and arms, but then she's got the white bodysuit with the bee and uh, and the helmet. Their brother and sister team, who got zapped by a big bolt of electricity, and somehow it gave them computer powers. Bug is able to, the brother, is able to uh, control any computer, any part of a computer system he can reach by phone line. <laughs> There was no – let's face it. There was no other way to get to a computer in the, in the 80s. So now it would be, you know, whatever. He'd be wireless. I will attack so, America online. And then uh, and then his sister, Blythe, who is Bite, was able to transform herself into pure energy flowing through power lines uh, and creating giant images of uh, – using electricity. Into. I wonder and if they bumped into the atom as he was crossing phone lines. Probably. Probably. They probably Maybe they had a little, you know, a little thing. Uh, that's what that's, – that's why Gene Loring went crazy. Um, anyway, in the background, you see a personal computer uh, with Byte's face on it, and uh, I'm sorry, with uh, Bug's face on it, and Byte is flying around zapping Firestorm, and uh, you've got little shots of their faces in the background. It's uh, it's fun. I still think these are salvageable characters. I'm sorry. I think you know, it w- I've said this before on the show. You know, Bug and Byte could be, uh, I don't know, Megabyte in in malware or Band- I, I how about w- bandwidth and torrent. There you go, bandwidth, and or how about this one, terror bite. There you go, you like that? terror bite and bandwidth. There you go, or or what? What or virus or something? I don't know. Trojan, whatever. I don't think we want that. That's probably true, but they're 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 products of their era. Let's just put it that way. So they really are. They're they're very they're very 1984. They really are. Then we go on to one of my favorites. He definitely should have been the main character on the cover. Bawana Beast, folks. Um, this is an interesting character because at this point, when he appeared in Husu, he had only had literally three appearances. That was it. It's sort of like a Brother Power of the Geek sort of moment where it's like, really? Why is he in here? Um, but it, it, the irony is nowadays there's like a groundswell of popularity <laughs> around this character for no other fact than he's that he's so sort of kitschy, sort of. He's just so weird. There are that- two Bawana Beast action figures. There are more than that, my friend. Really? There's more yes. than two? Oh my God. Because I, as a gag, uh, a year or two ago, uh, on uh, April 1st, April Fool's Day, a lot of us comic bloggers got together and changed our sites uh, for one day. Like uh, the, the, the Booster Gold site, because he's such an example of capitalism, he changed his to the Red Star, the communist superhero for the day. Um, I changed Firestorm fan to the Bawana Beast blog for the day. So I learned more about Bawana Beast than I ever thought I would. <laughs> doing research because I did like a bunch of posts and there are like four or five Bawana Beast action figures. It's crazy. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and all within the last couple of years. I mean, right. Yes. Boom, boom, yes. Boom, boom, boom. So, uh, anyway, he had literally, um, three appearances up to this point. He'd, he'd been in the showcase, two issues of showcase in 19, um, 67. 
He showed up in the 1984 DC sampler for some reason. I, I think it was because it was the uh, who's who entry. Um, and that's it. You know, he hadn't even shown up as part of DC challenge at this point. He didn't even merit being in the forgotten heroes. I don't think, um, just a really strange, obscure character. His power, and you've probably seen him on Brave and the Bold, folks, but his power is to merge two animals into one. Like there's a picture in the back, in the, in the serpent here of a, a zebra and a rhino merged into one beast. <laughs> it, you know what? I don't even need to talk about it anymore. Well, we should mention it's drawn by Chuck Patton. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Chuck Matt Patton and uh, Rick Magar. It's, it's beautiful, great-looking entry. Yeah, it's very good. It's, it's probably the best credit that he had gotten in a long time. Uh, or, I mean, or would you get for a long time, I should say. I'm sorry. Um, and, and, you know, it's kind of funny is that he went on to appear in um, DC Challenge, which was a book where basically a writer and artist would create a, a situation and leave it as a cliffhanger unsolved. And the next writer and artist would have to figure out how to solve that issue, that storyline. And I think they threw Boana Beast in there just be, just screwing with each other. I think it's what, honestly, I think that's why he appeared at DC Challenges. One writer's like, you know what? I'm totally going to screw over whoever's taking the book after me. So, anyway, uh, coming up on our last entry here, folks, is it's either Bith or Bith. I always I thought know. it was Bith, but I've that's just my own thing. I've always said Bith, too. Uh, it's a honestly creepy drawing by Joe Kubert. Um, Bith is just very 1960s scary looking you know he's he's bald he's staring off to the right which actually makes it even creepier he's staring at uh, the wannabes i guess he is he's got a you know sort of a lame purple and yellow costume but that's not kubert's fault that's just well actually it would be kubert's fault now i think about it because he drew it back then um he's got the little yellow booties and, and bare legs I and mean, the costume's sort of silly but the guy's face is creeping me out and in the background, it shows all the monsters he, could, he can transform into because he's a shape changer. So it shows him as a pterodactyl, shows him as a wolf, shows him as this giant serpent, horned serpent that, um, that uh, Black Manta was riding on the cover. Um, so he's, it's a, I have a lot of personal ire for this character, honestly. But it's not because of the pre-crisis, it's post-crisis. During the uh, Hawkworld series, it took forever for them to catch Beth. Forever. And so it was just always like another Beth story and another Beth story. And they're still looking for Beth. So, like, my feelings towards this character are, unfortunately, it's transference. Okay. So, but it's a nice drawing, though. I mean, Of course. Given the subject matter that he had to work with, but, again, it's his own fault because he drew the character the first time around. Uh, it's, you know, so, so from that point of view. All right. And on the back side, we have um, the ad that they run every issue for Upcoming uh, issues of DC Comics, including telling you where you can find all the characters. He mentions Black Lightning is a member of Batman and the Outsiders. Talks about um, Blocks, a member of Legion Superheroes. Blue Devil stars in his own monthly comic. You know, tells you Blue Beetle is currently being seen in Crisis on Infinite Earths. Says Bolt will unfortunately turn up in Blue Devil later this year. Um, that was a joke. You're supposed to laugh. Bouncing Boys training candidates. reasonable. Aw, I like here how they, because there was two Legion of Superheroes titles going. I like how they plugged both of them. It says, Bouncing Boy is training can- candidates to join the Legion of Superheroes. Later, later on, it says, Brainiac 5 is discovering worlds in tales of the Legion. So it's like, nice little plug. Well done. Um, anyway, so it, it, Brother Power will return in a forthcoming DC Comics Presents. <laughs> and, the, and the best is the Bug and Bite one. Quite honestly, folks, it says Bug and Bite may return. <laughs> the pages of Fury of Firestorm, as if they knew themselves that mm, this is probably a- not. Yeah, so that is who's who 
Uh, issue number three from May 1985, folks. Now, you may, all of you, may feel a little sleepy having looked through this issue because of the tryptophan that you took in from all the turkeys in this issue. Oh. Thank you. I was working on that for the last five minutes. I bet you have. Where, where's it going? You got no way to wrap that up, that statement? Oh, jeez. Okay. Uh, well, folks, this wraps up the beat. What's that? It stood by itself. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this this wraps up all of the bees, folks. And uh, next issue, we're going to get into the C characters. So we're going to have Who some fun. Who would have guessed? Crazy! Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, right now, we're going to jump into some listener feedback, folks. We got quite a bit from you guys. A lot of support for the Who's Who Episode 2. Can't thank you enough. You guys are the best. We really appreciate it. And as we said last time, we're not going to do the the feedback exactly the same as we do Fire and Water. We're not going to read. Uh, well, we might read it more than I think, but we're 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 going to read uh, just bits and pieces of it. But we will make sure everyone gets acknowledged. Uh, Rob, you want to start us off? Yes. Yeah, so on the Aquaman trend, we got a comment from uh, Sean, aka Krypton Kylie. He says, yay, I have a trip to Baltimore tomorrow, so I'll listen to that, meaning the second episode of Who's Who. I can't wait. Now, it'll be interesting to see when this goes up if Sean mentions another trip to Baltimore, which then would lead me to say he only goes to Baltimore when there's new Who's Who to listen to. So It could be. Maybe that's the trigger. It could be. Some some sort of weird, you know, like post-hypnotic suggestion thing that we've put in about going to Baltimore. Um, we got another one from Earth 2 Chris, who is a.k.a. Chris Franklin, who is the first ever member of FOAM. Um Really? Yes. Oh, wow. He's first one. So uh, he wrote another great podcast, guys. Thanks for the shout-out. A few comments first off. Kurt Swan and Girl Kane are beyond reproach. Personal <laughs> taste must be thrown out the window when discussing such legends. That's um, a, good way to, a good way to approach it. Murphy Anderson is very suited to superhero work. He did the original artwork. He did the artwork for the majority of Captain Action packages, the original superhero action figure. Come on, guys. I think that's aimed at me specifically because that I think I was <laughs> the one who made that comment. Um so, point taken, Chris. He also wrote Dave Givens on the Golden Age Batman. He not only drew the Golden Age chapter of B&B number 200, but the modern age chapters as well, which is, of course, also correct. I think because Givens sort of changed up his style a little bit when, when toggling back and forth, I think I forgot that he, in fact, did do the whole book. Um, he said he wrote, having proved very adept at drawing Dick, in Dick Sprang's classic style, he was the go-to guy, as you said. So, that's true. Um, he also mentioned uh, another oddity about the Earth-1 Batman is his first appearance. Detective Comics number 327 had long been DC's stock answer for the first appearance of the Earth-1 Batman, but it's clearly not the right one. The Earth-1 Batman had been a member of the Earth-1 JLA for over four years by that time. Uh, I was happy to see the later Suzu series just went with the character's actual first appearance and didn't try to make sense of such nebulous things. That's- I think part of the reason that works better is because in the post-crisis era, they, they didn't talk about the, the, the Earth 2 characters anymore. It was just Earth 1. So there was only one Batman entry, so it made it more sense yeah. at that point. I also like he mentions here um, that fans demanded that important characters get two pages because there are a lot of people said Batman got the short shrift yes. on there. And he points out that the very first person, I didn't realize this, to receive that honor was Barry Allen. That's right, which is only fitting considering Barry Allen ushered in the Silver Age. True. Uh, he ends it with, now go read some Swan Kane Anderson comics before you come back. <laughs> I like to. Be, he mentions my favorite character, Balloon Buster, and uh, he points out. Not sure if you guys read much Starman, but James Robinson later established that Steve Savage was the son. Um, Steve Savage, being Balloon Buster, was the son of Brian Savage, the scalp hunter. So cool. that's yeah, very cool. So and I and I knew that, but I had completely forgotten. And I've been getting the Starman omnibuses, so I'm really uh, I'm going to dig in and enjoy that. 
Over on Firestorm Fan, uh, Frank left us a large number of comments. He got all the way to the letter R. I guess he ran out of steam uh, and couldn't get all the way to Z. That's a challenge for you there, Frank. Um, and I think I gave you lots of lots of ammunition this time around, uh, as, as Rob points out, all the turkeys. Uh, he did say a couple of things that I want to point out. It says Jim Aparo was literally losing his eyesight by the early 90s, which is why he had such heavy-handed inkers from then until his death. He was a bit anachronistic in the 80s, but he still looked great with strong inkers like Mike DiCarlo. And, and you know, like I said, the Black Lightning drawing in here is really sharp. Yes, it is. Uh, he, he points out that Jack Edison, the guy who designed the Batmobile, also designed the Devilmobile, which is Blue Devil's vehicle. So, uh, <laughs> I didn't know such a thing existed. Well, they did it. They introduced the Devilmobile, and it was they made a big hoopla of it, but it was really as a joke. I mean, it was it was a hoopla, but to be funny. So, you know, I'm glad they did that. So, and then uh, I love this bit here. We're talking about Black Condor, and if you may recall, last issue I talked about how insane Black Condor's origin was. Yes. He was raised by super intelligent condors, and he, he replaced a senator just because he looked like him, and no one noticed. So, anyway, uh, Frank says just to make sure it's clear, Condor's origin here is exactly as it was in the 40s, which makes me wonder when exactly absinthe was outlawed. <laughs> <laughs> also, please know that Condor took over Senator Wright's entire life, including his girlfriend, who never objected <laughs> at all. She was a very love the one you're with type. Right. I tell you, or maybe, you know, the, the new one's a little better. So, um, got a very nice comment here from Ben Avery, our good friend, who uh, talked a little about who's who and uh, his, his thoughts on the podcast. Got a nice letter uh, or comment from Lil Russell Burbage. And uh, got a little more support there for Jerry Ordway. I mean, come on, who doesn't love Jerry Ordway? And he also is on the band camp of uh, people that are, or bandwagon, not band camp. This one time. You said the band camp. Uh, little Russell Burbage played the flute at Bandcamp. Anyway, um, he's also on the bandwagon of people that hate the Black Canary Flash Dance universe. <laughs> uh, my buddy Charlemagne uh, over here from the FKA uh, podcast says, uh, last year in need of some cash, I sold the majority of my comic book collection, including Who's Who. When this podcast came about, I went on eBay to find the original 26-issue run. I had to pay about 30 bucks, but it was about a dollar an issue, so that was pretty good. So uh, he's also a big fan of Will Payton Starman. Man, can't say enough good things about Will Payton Starman. Mm. Got a lot of love for that series. Um, we got an email from Luke. I'm not going to say Jack and Annie because I think we need to give that joke up. Um, he mentions <laughs> – <laughs> well, I think we need to move on. He says, uh, Batlash. Man, oh man, do I like Batlash. He's a lot like the character Maverick from the from the uh, TV show, which is absolutely true. And that's a great comparison. He has kind of like a, a kind of flinty sense of humor that, that James Gardner had. He's a lot like the anti-Jonah Hex, where Hex was a violent man who tended up doing the right thing in the larger scale of justice. Batlash was a scoundrel who cheated at cards, pulled heists, escaped from prison, and generally got himself into trouble. He did appear a few times in the modern Hex, uh, Jonah Hex series, pre-New 52, and he is a dandy for sure, all caps. <laughs> Thanks for the show, and keep up the great work on both shows. Thank you, Luke. He also says some things here about Balloon Buster, and uh, he said at, at this point in Who's Who that he was a supporting character in Enemy Aces Trip, which appeared in the back of Unknown Soldier. Uh, Blue Buster, Blue Balloon Buster only had a few starring roles, like only four strips. So I guess that's why I haven't been able to find a Balloon Buster showcase yet. Um, right. But I guess I need to go find the Enemy Ace one. Do they have one of those or I Unknown Soldier? I don't know if they do. I think they have, I know they have, I'm almost not sure they have Unknown Soldier. I don't know if they have Enemy Ace. Okay. And, and Luke also mentioned how we were wrong about Baron Bedlam on how we kind of saw him as the Outsider's primary foe when he's saying in reality he was just the Outsider's first foe. That he didn't appear as much as uh, 
as we think. And he said, ask Frank how much uh, Luke likes the Outsiders. <laughs> um, thanks to folks over on Twitter. Uh, you guys were great. Absolutely great coming out and supporting the podcast. I'm going to run through everyone's names real quick. Uh, Hector Negrete at Bauhaus45. Uh, La Cueba del Nerd, which is Nerd's Cave. Um, then we've got Raul Cotto Verified at Mass Fuego. Corey Hodgson at High Rock. Randy Caldwell, Mr. Perturb. Joe Slab was nice enough to uh, – yeah, Give you know him what? a break. Give him All a break. All right. He's been he's been clean and sober for at least thirty minutes. I, I need to be nice. So Joe Slab over at J Slab four two five, Ben Avery whispering loon Lee Novak, which is Lee Novak sixteen. Luke Dab, um, the most dastardly creative man in comics, who's Dab creative. A Michael dab C. Will do you. Michael C. The unmasked geek. Joey Garza, which is J Garsden three. Tower of Fates. Uh, then we've got Luke Giaconetti, which is Elge Cohn, Alan Middleton, which is Professor Allen, Speed Force, our buddy Kelson at Speed Force Org, uh, Rihanna Lauren, uh, then Keith G. Baker, which is KGBUNC, Jay Ferguson, which is Viva El Viento, and then Oscar P. at Digital Malik 3. Now, Jay Ferguson uh, said something here, which uh, I already referenced it, but I just want to give a thanks to him. So, love your Who's Who coverage, and coincidentally, I just read the Starman Annual where Balloon Buster appears. So, I, uh, I've really got to crack into those omnibuses of mine. Over on Facebook, we got some, uh, we got a lot of support. Thank you, folks. Corey Hodgson, Fred Clyde, Kevin Culp, Sean Meyer, Keith G. Baker, Ben Avery, Bill Seckman, Tony Magno, and James Girton. Um, Keith G. Baker said this issue and the F issue were always my favorite. Surprise. Uh, Keith is a huge Firestorm fan. So, uh, Corey Hodgson said he went onto Google and found the Black Condor <laughs> entry. For some reason, he had to see it. <laughs> and it is nuts. Over on Google+, Plus, we got support from Comic Book and Movie Reviews, Speed Force, Keith G. Baker, Kevin Culp, Andy Kapelish, Mario Z- uh, Zuniga, uh, and Luke Giaconetti. And... Uh, now, Luke, Luke talks here about Batlash again a little bit more. Um, he says that you can pick up his Showcase Presents for uh, only 10 bucks, So okay. that's a great price. By the way, I saw there is Showcase books for both Enemy Ace and Unknown Soldier. Dude, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. We, I think I am on the move. I got to go. Um, well, let's wrap this up. <laughs> right. I got, some, I got something to do. Uh, Speed Force, uh, our buddy Kelson was very nice and mentioned us over on his website at speedforce.org. Thank you very much. We received several emails here. We got a nice email from Mark, who's Xander26, and uh, he was trying to direct us to an online resource uh, for the Who's Who podcast, and we really appreciate that, Mark. And he gave us uh, some nice comments, talked about his eBay. He goes through an eBay fever every few years and everything. And then he immediately sent us some email back, OMG, uh, completely disregarded the link I sent you. <laughs> so... Um, if you really want to explore uh, who's who on the internet, Rob, get, why don't you give that Tumblr address one more time? Fire and Water Podcast uh, dot Tumblr. Now, uh, Tumblr folks does not, uh, if I remember, doesn't have an e in it, right? If you've never no, been yeah, out to Tumblr, Tumblr, yeah, yeah, okay. So, so if you've never been out to Tumblr, there, there you go. Then uh, uh, next Tumblr dot com. I should mention I've dropped off the dot com. Fire and Water Podcast dot Tumblr dot com. And then uh, Michael Bradley, next. Yes. Uh, he, of course, Michael Bradley does the great Thrilling Adventures of Superman podcast. Just wanted to give you a heads up. The Batcave did not appear in Detective Comics number 27, as I had said. It was actually among the last of the major Batman toys, <laughs> the way, toys to be introduced into the comics. It made its first appearance anywhere 
in the first Batman serial in 1942. I did not know that. It was then introduced into the comics later that year. Until then, Batman utilized an above-ground hangar hidden within a dilapidated barn that could be accessed via an underground tunnel that connected to stately Wayne Manor. On another note, Shag will be pleased to know that while there was no bizarro firestorm pit crisis, he did appear in a cameo in Supergirl number 57 from 2010. I love how the circles are squares, although I wonder if it wouldn't <laughs> be more appropriate for the bizarro firestorm to have a huge chunk of ice on his head rather than flame. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, uh, thank you very much, Michael, for sending me those scans. I, I actually featured them on Firestorm Fan um, shortly after we got that email. So uh, that, that bizarro firestorm is so cool. There's also a bizarro Hawkman, bizarro Martian Manhunter in that drawing. It's really neat. Yeah. So. Um, we also got another email from uh, little Professor Allen. Um, Rob, and <laughs> I am loving Who's Who episodes, which bring back such great memories. I am certain I had the series way back in the day, but do not have a single issue in my collection. Come on, Allen. Get, get with it. Until today, <laughs> but then he says, until today, that is, I was wandering in the vicinity of a half price bookstore and saw a few boxes of comics out front labeled 25 cents. Let's just say that when you get around to Phantom Girl, Plastic Man, Polar Boy, and Professor Goose Strange, I'll be ready. Keep up the good work, boys. Little Professor Allen, Central Ohio. And most importantly, he'll be ready for plastique. Yes. So, um, folks, uh, then we've got our last thing here. Um, we're still looking for a title for this award. You know, we give out the STEAM Award over on the Fire and Water podcast to you uh, uh, nuclear subs who go above and beyond. We're, we're trying to come up with a Who's Who Award. It's really weak right now. It's called the Who's Who in Podcast Listening. It's uh, – <laughs> Somebody certainly could come up with something better than that. Uh, so anyway, the award for the Who's Who podcast listener this time goes to Diablo Frank. Thank you very much, Frank. Frank wrote this tremendous write-up on his website, The Idle Head of Diablo, which is at idle-head.blogspot.com. It's a Martian Manhunter blog. But he did this huge write-up about the Who's Who podcast. So incredibly uh, nice of him. He then went on to explain... Um, his, his bitterness towards Who's Who for including such characters like uh, Blackbriar Thorn, but not including, and he gave a huge litany of uh, Martian Manhunter foes or supporting characters that could have mentioned and didn't, because Martian Manhunter apparently was severely underrepresented in Who's Who, so he explained those. But he gave us a very nice shout out, and we sincerely appreciate that. Thank you very much, Frank. Absolutely. Uh, you're a true Who's Whoer. Who's Who and the Who's Who or something like that. I don't know. He he actually threw one out, um, called them Whovian Whovians. <laughs> I don't know that that works either. It's a little too Doctor Who for me. They're, they're called Whovians. Doctor but anyway. Too. Uh, folks, I am going to make a plea to you guys here and ask for a favor. Um, we're out there on iTunes, and um, you can leave reviews out on iTunes, and we would really appreciate it if you guys gave us a shout-out about the Who's Who podcast. It's, it really is a separate podcast in the feed. You've got Fire and Water and Who's Who. If you guys would be willing to go out there and write a review of the Who's Who podcast, we'd really appreciate it. Um, for those of you that have written previous uh, uh, iTunes reviews, we appreciate it. For those of you who haven't, what's wrong with you? Um, we're giving you all this stuff for free, and you're, you're, what, do we, what do we get out of this relationship, really? I mean, come on. Not much. I tell you. They're just selfish. They're just selfish. That's what these people are. Anyway, if you go out now, and write a review. On that note. <laughs> thanks for listening. No, uh, if, you could, if you could write a review on iTunes, folks, it would really be appreciated. It will help help other people find the podcast. It'll help get the word out there that we do have this Who's Who show. And uh, it would just mean a lot to us. And then maybe I won't be mean to you next time. Maybe. So that'll, that'll teach you. That's my school of parenting right there, folks. <laughs> anyway. It's, it's uh, all sick, no carrot in Shag's house. That's right. Rob, why don't you tell the folks where they can find you on the web? Uh, of course, AquamanTrine.com. 
Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. And just as a little bonus, um, the day we're recording this, the next day, we're recording this on, on, on I guess I should pull back the curtain. We're recording this on uh, Sunday, August 5th. You'll be hearing this on Monday, August 6th, which is the first day of Season 2 of Ace Kilroy. So if you are an Ace Kilroy fan, and I know some of you are, the rest of you, I hate you. Um, the one, <laughs> the one, the one wow, who, we're really wrapping up this show. <laughs> Great. <laughs> the ones who are, please go visit Ace Kilroy, uh, again, acekilroy.com, um, and you can start seeing season two, and, and you'll be able to start leaving comments about the strips directly, which I hope will um, sort of create a community um, uh, around the strip the way we have it on Firestorm Fan and for the podcast and for the Aquaman Shrine. So please go visit Ace Kilroy at acekilroy.com. Thanks. So what are fans of Ace Kilroy called? Are they like I, aces? I don't know. Well, I call them Aces Allies as if you join the little club. Oh, yeah. But I don't know if it just means you're a fan. I have to come up with some other. But it just means you're just awesome. You're awesome. There it is. Thanks. Perfect. Uh, you can find Firestorm Fan at firestormfan.com. It's on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, Plus. all the same. Uh, Rob has mentioned the Tumblr now a couple times. Definitely go out and check that out. You can see a, a good handful of entries from this issue of Who's Who. And we'll be back with Who's Who in about a month. And we should be back with Fire and Water within the next couple of weeks, folks. Yep. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this amazing uh, closing theme by Daniel Cynical Adams and his band, The Bad Mama Jamas. And uh, be sure to stay for the stinger. We don't do stingers on this show. No, the stinger in the song. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Bye, folks. Bye. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh, man. We forgot Slipknot. You know, like a space car and an alien that's like, you know.